All right. It's, I know, I know. It's the winter. We're all trying to catch up. Um, welcome, everybody that are here in this room and those of you who are watching via the live stream. It's good to be together uh, here on January 10th, 2021. I, I saw uh, a, a post uh, not too long ago that said something uh, uh, I'm, I'm willing to take the, the seven-day return on 2021. Um, it's been a week, hasn't it? My goodness. I wanted to share a passage um, in light of um, all that's happened over the past seven days. It's in Romans chapter 13, and it follows Paul as he's already talked in the previous seven verses about um, our relationship with uh, government and with those in authority. Then verse 8, this is what he says. He says, let no debt remain, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another for whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other command there may be are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. And then immediately following those verses, Paul then writes this in verse 11. He says, and do this, understanding that the present time, the hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber, because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So set aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. A question that I've been asking myself this week is what would the church and the world look like if we stopped seeing one another as the enemy and we understood that we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against principalities, against rulers of this dark world. We will one day, each and every single person in this room, those of you who are watching via live stream, we will one day be held accountable for how we respond in these times. We'll be held accountable for how it is that we handle our disagreements and our conversations with one another. And contrary to maybe some opinion, we will be held accountable to what we post on social media. Did we clothe ourselves with Jesus or did we clothe ourselves with deeds of darkness? 
I choose to live according to the fulfillment of God's law. As Paul mentions, and as Jesus said himself, to love my neighbor as I love myself. And I am okay. I am okay with people feeling like I'm not doing enough. I'm okay if you feel that way. It doesn't bother me. I believe. I believe that I am and we are to live according to Jesus, and that is the only way moving forward. And I will never stop doing that, and I will never stop preaching that. In light of that, there's a couple of things that I want to bring to your attention, one that we can pray for and one that we can praise God for. First is this. North Haven Church has been around since the late 50s. There's nobody in this room, and there's nobody watching via the live stream, maybe possibly except for one person who can say that they remember that time. Because none of us were there. Up until Friday, we had two charter members. People that were there when North Haven first began. So what it is that we're experiencing and the blessings that we're receiving now are the results of that faithfulness at the very beginning. And two people up until Friday were a part of that journey. And one of them passed away on Friday, Eunice Johnson. There are some of you in this room who know Eunice. You've talked to her. You've experienced uh, her life and her ministry. Many of you probably in this room maybe haven't met her. I have, and it was a joy. I met her on two occasions. I met her one uh, when I was here for the reception prior to me starting here at North Haven. I met her and her daughter. But then I also met her again or talked to her again about 11 months ago. Right before COVID hit, Pastor Don and I went to uh, the nursing home that she was at, and we had just an amazing time together. She's, she was 95 years old when she passed. She, she outlived three husbands. <laughs> what a life this woman had of faithfulness and service to not only God, but to North Haven and to many people that call North Haven home. And so uh, we're going to honor her, honor her, and we don't know quite the details of that yet, but we will let you know as soon as we figure that out. But be praying for her family. Any loss is a difficult loss, even though we do thank God that her life was full. The other thing I want to bring to your attention that we can praise God for is this. In December, the giving for that month, the generous and faithful and courageous giving in that month was $117,000. Now, hold on for a second, because if you think that that's our monthly budget, that we should probably talk, because it's not. We require 53000 right around $53,000 in order to keep the lights on, keep the heat running, keep staff paid and ministries moving forward. And so December, we just blew that out of the water. 
$117,000. Let me put that in perspective. That was the highest month of the year. And it brought the year-to-date giving for 2020 to $624,000. $624,000 in the midst of what has been a tumultuous and difficult and unprecedented year. This church has decided to respond faithfully and courageously, and it just blows me away. Giving exceeded throughout the entire year by $65,000 exceeded spending. And that is a testament to your staff. Because as a staff, we, have, we decided right away when this pandemic began, we're going to curb our spendings. We're going to be good stewards with the resources that God has given us. And so our giving, even though that giving, even though it's incredible and it didn't quite meet our goal for our budget, it's still our spending was $65,000 less than what was given. And this surplus, and keep in mind, so that, that brought a, th- a surplus at the end of the year to $34,000. But this is the thing, and this is really cool. This is the healthiest, financially healthiest church I've ever been a pastor at. You need to know that because you cannot take this for granted. One of the, one of the key um, components that signify a healthy church are the net assets that that church has. And the net assets of this church is now at $144,000. Unbelievable. Isn't that incredible? I'm just, I just praise God. So I, I just want to thank you. I just want to thank you because uh, I'm, I'm just a pee in a pod. You guys are the hands and feet of Jesus. You guys are making things happen big time here at North Haven, and you're doing that largely through your generous and courageous giving. So thank you. Praise God. Um, how many of you have been to the Split Rock Lighthouse? All right, yeah, many of us, right? That's a Minnesota thing. You've got to go there, when you, certainly when you're up in Duluth, Gooseberry Falls, all that jazz. Split Rock Lighthouse is great. I love lighthouses, um, mostly because I just love being close to the water, you know, whether that's huge lakes or the oceans. And... But I want to share this story with you, a quick story. So a, light, a lighthouse keeper who worked on a rocky stretch of coastline. He received oil once a month to keep his light burning. And not being far from a village, he had frequent guests. And one night, a woman needed oil to keep her family warm, and so he gave her some. Another night, a father needed oil for his lamp, and so he gave him some. And then another needed oil to lubricate a wheel, so he gave oil to that person as well. And all of these requests seemed legitimate, so the lighthouse keeper tried to meet them all. And toward the end of the month, however, he ran out of oil. And his lighthouse, it went dark, and it caused ships then to crash on the coastline. And the man was understandably, and rightly so, reproved by his superiors. You were given the oil for one reason, they said, to keep the light burning. And that's what we're going to talk about here today, because you and I, we were given oil to keep the light of Jesus burning here at North Haven and in our lives. 
There's a story that's kind of similar to this in a way in Exodus chapter 18. I would invite you, if you have your Bibles, remember those things, the paper, you know, you can open that up to Exodus 18, or you can look up on your phone. You can certainly do that, or you can just cheat and look on the screen behind me. But we're going to look at some verses here and uh, spend a little bit of time. We've got quite a few verses I want to read because it gives us context and uh, focus as to what it is that we're going to be dealing with here today. Exodus 18. Now, this is, this is after Moses led my people go, right? <laughs> this is when he then takes the Israelites out of Egypt. And uh, uh, Pharaoh and, and all those uh, Egyptian bad guys were chasing after him and got, got overtaken by the Red Sea. And so they're, they're moving through the wilderness. They're moving through the desert, Moses and the Israelites. And so it says here in verse 13, Moses took his seat to serve as judge for the people. And they stood around him from morning till evening. And we kind of get a picture of this. This isn't just a few people. This is a whole nation of people. When his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he did what every in-law does. He got in the business of their son-in-law or daughter-in-law, right? He said, what is this you are doing for the people? Why do you alone sit as judge while all these people stand around you from morning till evening? So Moses answered him, because the, the people come to me to seek God's will. And whenever they have a dispute, it is brought to me and I decide between the parties. And then I inform them of God's decrees and instructions. Moses' father-in-law replied, what you are doing is not good. What you are doing is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You can't handle it alone. Right, right, I agree. Listen now to me and I will give you some advice and may God be with you. You must be the people's representative before God and then bring their disputes to him, to God. Teach the people God's decrees and instructions and then show the people the way they are to live and how they are to behave. But select capable men and women from all the people, people who fear God, who are trustworthy and they hate dishonest gain and appoint them as officials over thousands and hundreds and fifties and tens. Have them serve as judges for the people at all times, but have them bring every difficult case to you because the simple cases they can decide for themselves. That will make your load lighter, Moses, because they will share it with you. If you do this and God so commands, you will be able to stand the strain and all these people will go home satisfied. Moses listened to his father-in-law and did everything he said. He chose capable men from all Israel and made them leaders of the people, officials over thousands and hundreds and fifties and tens. And they served as judges for the people at all times. The difficult cases they brought to Moses, but the simple ones they decided for themselves. 
Then Moses sent his father-in-law on his way, and Jethro returned to his own country. So we here, we here at North Haven, those of you in this room, those of you who are watching virtually, we are a little bit like the Israelites in the desert. See, over the years, when things have gone wrong for our members, people in this congregation, when things have gone wrong for people in this, in this community, uh, the congregation has often and understandably looked to the staff and a few other leaders to provide the needed guidance and support and care for those hurting in the church and in the community. But the problem is with this picture is that caring for the number and needs of hurting people, especially today, usually requires far more ability than what the staff and other leaders have available or can do in a healthy way. And as a result, people often receive less care and support than they need. And they feel lonely or neglected, and they may think that no one really cares about them. So we here at North Haven, we, we have seen the inadequacy of this model. A staff member might visit a newly bereaved, bereaved widow, for instance, or widower for a number of weeks, but soon other people need that leader's attention as well. And although the, the leader knows that the grieving person still needs care, they still need attention, there simply aren't enough hours in the day to see to everybody's needs. And so as new crises come along and the demand, that demand the leader's attention, they turn to care for others, leaving some people still hurting, still in need of care. And so we believe we have a solution for this problem. Uh, at every church that I've pastored at, except one, this ministry that we're going to share with you here today and that we're going to spend a good deal amount of time talking about over the course of this month is a ministry called Stephen Ministry. Raise your hand if you've heard of Stephen Ministry. Great, great. Now, Stephen Ministry has existed for a number of years, and as I mentioned, all but one of the churches that I've been pastored at, Stephen Ministry has been present and instrumental in the care and health and growth of, the, of those churches. And Stephen Ministries actually existed here before. A number of years ago, Stephen Ministry existed, and maybe there's someone or a few people in this room that, that were Stephen Ministers at that time. So there's a history of doing this, and we're going to look at doing it again. We believe it is a solution to this problem that's been laid out. But what is Stephen Ministry? Check this video out. Stephen Ministry is a place where people can come who are hurting. It could be from a loss of a family member. It could be a loss of a job. It's a caring ministry. It's for people who are going through crisis in their life. As a caregiver in the Stephen Ministry, I walk alongside and show Christ's love to the care receivers. Typically, the care receiver themselves comes up with the answer, but it is process-oriented not results-oriented, we're not there to fix them. But they need a Christian friend to sound it out and to listen to them in a confidential manner. Typically, we will meet with our care receivers about an hour and a half a week. 
it's an opportunity for the person to just share whatever they're ready for that day. And if they're not ready, they're not ready. They, the, the key is to make them feel very comfortable. To listen to them intently. And ask her, what are your prayer needs? What should we pray for this week? And during my prayer time, I pray for her. That's the gift that uh, Christ gives us, the gift of mercy. No one likes to go through pain alone, and it's a good opportunity to lead them to Christ if they're not already, or to strengthen their walk. We are the caregiver, and Christ is in the center as the caregiver in all the situations. We can help them to be uplifted and be closer to God through this uh, crisis. He's using me and the other student ministers as his ambassadors to show that he does exist and that he does love his children. And it's just very rewarding to, to know that you've helped someone walk a very difficult path and to get them to the other side. This ministry, Stephen Ministry, as I mentioned, I have a history with, and as I came here, it became a little bit of a pet project. It's something that I, I believed needed to come back here to North Haven. And so I began to have conversations with some people about that, specific people about that, including uh, Pastor Don, Don Mortensen, our associate pastor, and also Meredith Dupree and Julia Iverson. And talking to the three of them about really kind of beginning to set the stage for what this can look like at North Haven. Those conversations began, I want to say, was it the fall of, of 19? It seemed like 10 years ago, right? But not that long ago, we began having conversations about what this could look like. The first step was this. We needed to send these three individuals uh, to California, of all places, in February. <laughs> Poor them, right? To get training. And if you think that they just kind of relaxed on the beach in the sun, think again, because they spent almost every waking hour in training for an entire week to prepare themselves to set up a ministry and the means of training other Stephen ministers here at North Haven Church. The plan at that point was then to begin shortly thereafter to begin processing applications and then training people to become Stephen ministers. But then something happened called COVID and life changed for everybody. But as, as um, we've been praying, especially Meredith and I, over these last uh, six months, we've really determined that now more than ever, there is a tremendous need to care for others to be there in an intentional one-on-one -on -one capacity to walk with people because there are a lot of hurting people right now. See, in that story that we looked at in Exodus 18, just as Jethro offered a solution for Moses' difficulties in trying to do everything himself, we also... We want to train gifted individuals to assist with the caring and Stephen Ministry multiplies the amount of caring that then can be accomplished, and it helps individual care receivers experience the support and the concern that they need for as long as they need it. Because one person cannot do this alone. Exodus 18, verses 18 and 22, again, the work is too heavy for you, Jethro says to Moses. 
And so this will then make your load lighter because these other people will share it with you. Stephen ministers, when you become a Stephen minister, you help lighten care receivers' loads by assisting them with their burdens. And so just like in this Exodus passage, Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, visits the Israelites, right? He goes and he sees this situation in the Sinai wilderness, Moses and this entire nation that's now wandering through the desert, and they're bringing, uh, they're bringing all their cares and concerns to Moses. So Jethro comes upon this mass assembly, and as far as he can see, everyone is waiting to meet with Moses, Everybody. And Moses is now virtually their only leader attempting to arbitrate all disputes among all people. Jethro, as we read, says to, says to Moses in verse 14, what is this you are doing? Why do you alone sit as judge while all these people stand around you from morning till evening? See, Moses is trying to do everything by himself. Can you relate a little bit to that? He has fallen into this trap that many leaders face, especially leaders within the church, thinking that they must do it all or it won't get done at all. This event takes place after God has freed the Israelites, but this experience of redemption that Moses has experienced has not endowed Moses with this vast amounts of skill and creativity to lead all of his people in all things, because he has not mastered the art of delegation. If Moses doesn't learn soon to use the gifts of all of God's people, Jethro tells Moses in this passage that he will wither and die on the vine. Moses needs some on-the-job training, and fast. So Jethro suggests appointing assistants. He suggests appointing wise and sincere people who are known for their integrity. And then once in place, these people... These people will prove that not only can they handle the job well, but they can also do some things, especially in the daily care and work, probably better than Moses could do. Moses has some specific roles, as Jethro points out, that have been given just to Moses. One is living face-to-face with God. He also points out that Moses' role is addressing large crisis, casting vision, as well as establishing community centers. But Moses is running out of time and energy for all the other necessary tasks. And so Jethro's solution is to promote Moses to this appeals court judge who deals only with the most difficult problems. Okay, We all want to live in peace. Who doesn't want to live in the midst of peace? We all want that for our lives, and I think that we all generally want that for others. In this passage in Exodus, it mentions that the people, Jethro says, the people should walk away, should go away satisfied. That's one of Jethro's concerns that he points out here. That word satisfied is is, is key Because that word literally means to go away in peace. That is the goal here. 
We want people in this church and in this community to experience lives of peace. But in accordance with this, it's only possible because Stephen ministers will live within God's peace and thus help restore others to the wholeness of God's salvation. You may not know this. I've said it a few times, but I know that you're not always listening to me. But pastors are extremely prone, extremely prone to depression, to overwork. Pastors are prone to mental illness, and they are prone to suicide. And the rates of suicide among pastors has been skyrocketing over the past 10 years. The reason I mention this is because it's, pastors can often become emotionally exhausted because they keep taking on many obligations. Other people's cares and anxieties and concerns regarding the overall success and needs of the church that they lead. When I was going through seminary, I didn't have one class one class that talked about preparing myself emotionally, mentally, and physically for all the cares and needs and expectations that I would face when I entered into church pastoral leadership. And so then you have all these ministries that have been birthed over the last 20 years that deal specifically with helping pastors who have burnt out. You've heard of this, right? Ministries that work with pastors or other church leaders who have just been burned and, and, and injured and harmed, and now they're, they're afraid their marriages and their families are in trouble. And that's great. We need ministries like that. But what about getting on the front end? And so I spent a great deal amount of time. I'm in, I'm in the last year of my doctorate pursuit, and I've been focusing specifically on the issue of vulnerability and how important it is for people, and especially pastors, especially church leaders, to embrace their vulnerability, to not run away from it, but to lean into it. Church leaders need to spend time. We need to spend time leading and, and letting the church members do what God has equipped them to do. Church leaders don't have to do everything, as Jethro says, for the people. And as Moses shows, church leaders cannot do everything themselves. No one has all the gifts. No one has all the gifts. So that's why God graciously distributes gifts among the entire body of believers. There's another moment in Acts chapter 6 that maybe you've heard about that really resembles this other moment in Exodus 18. In the New Testament, in chapter 6 of Acts, a very young Christian church, a, a church that has just started, Jesus has risen from the dead. He's ascended back into heaven. The Pentecost has happened. People are becoming saved. The message of Christ and the cross and the resurrection is moving forward. So this very young Christian church has been growing so fast that now members aren't getting the care that they need. And so the church then subsequently encounters a normal problem that all institutions meets when they expand 
They experience a transition. Just as Moses in the wilderness learned a new method of administration instead of tearing his hair out with all the legal details. The apostles now also find themselves harried by the task of delivering food to the needy. And so in Acts chapter 6, verses 2 through 4, this is what we see. So the 12 gathered, the 12 disciples, the 12 apostles, gathered all the disciples together. So all those who were following Christ, all those who were now in kind of positions of leadership, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. That's what the apostles say. So brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and we'll give our attention to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So you know what happened? These seven, these seven use different gifts that God had equipped them for and the church grew. Then one of those seven known to be full of spirit and wisdom was a man named Stephen. Stephen ministry is named after him, one who has the gift to care for others. So Moses had to discover for himself that gifting responsibility to others gets a lot more done and in a much better way. Similarly, the early church had to discover that in order to meet the needs of a growing congregation and growing cares and concerns within that congregation and community, it needed others to serve in a caring ministry. And so our church is going to follow suit. So in using Stephen ministry, this proven, impactful, and important ministry we will also discover the blessings of mobilizing our people for the purpose of ministry. Stephen ministers will use their gifts that have been given to them by God. They will do so with sound biblical, psychological, and sound counseling disciplines that come from specific and intentional training. It's a big commitment but it's a huge need. And I know that God is calling people in this room and those of you who are watching virtually this service and last service, he's calling some of you even in this moment. You may not be aware because maybe you don't do a good job of listening to what God's trying to tell you, but God very well might be calling you to care in this way. One of the things that I say a lot is that we are all ministers of the gospel. We are all ministers of the gospel. The only only thing that differentiates me from you is that I I get paid to do this, and I have the privilege of standing in front of you on a weekly basis and sharing with you the word as, as God has led in my life. But we stand together as brothers and sisters in Christ, as ministers of the gospel. Nothing will change that. 
One of, one of my greatest joys over the last year and a half that I've been here, when I came, so we all know Dan Hansen, right? Dan Hansen, our facilities manager, great, great guy. He's become a great friend. Dan works super hard. He does a great job whenever it is that he's doing what, what he's supposed to be doing. He does medial tasks in this building that, that many of you would rather not do. And he doesn't really complain about it. Sometimes he complains about it, but not often. But one of the things that was true, and, and I'll be, I'm going to pick out someone in this room too. One of the things that was true then for him, and I think was also true in some ways for, for Karen, our amazing bookkeeper, is that I think Dan especially saw themselves as staff members, as people that handled specific logistics based on specific needs, and not so much as partners and ministers of the gospel. And I got to tell you, both Dan and Karen have been incredibly impactful in the lives of people in this congregation, in this community, for, for the purpose of Jesus Christ and making him known. And in some ways, they have been more impactful, I believe, than even I have. And I consider it a privilege to minister with them. The same is true for all of you. You're not just attenders. You're not just people who wake up on a Sunday morning, get yourself ready, Maybe some of you care a lot about what you wear, and some of you obviously don't. <laughs> but you come to church, you listen to the worship, or you participate, and you, and you listen to the message, you try to stay awake, and then you go home and you have lunch. Yeah, you're not just attenders. We are all ministers of the gospel. If you've made the decision to follow Jesus and to make him the leader of your life, then the Bible tells you, it tells me, that we are responsible to keep oil in our lamp. We are responsible to keep that light shining. And the way we do that is we do that together. Each of us has our own specialty according to what we have been gifted. And as such, each person is not only gifted, but is also given as a gift to others. We are sent to love and care for others in Christ's name. Stephen ministers are a perfect example of God's grace among the world. They are as much a gift from God to our congregation and to our community as were those capable, honest, God-fearing people that God granted to the Israelites in the wilderness of Sinai, and as much as those seven, including Stephen, full of the spirit and wisdom that God gave to the early Christians in Jerusalem. Informed by Moses and Jethro and Stephen and following God's Holy Spirit, Stephen ministers. Stephen ministers here at North Haven will quietly and confidentially get things done at our church and in our community for the glory of God. As you walked in, you got a couple of cards. One of them was this quarter sheet here. And this, this here, it's not given to you for any other reason than to use as a placeholder. I'm asking you, I'm imploring you for the month of January, over these next few weeks, I wanted to ask you to put this card somewhere, whether it's in your wallet, in your Bible, in your purse, hang it on your refrigerator, maybe tape it on your mirror. 
And the reason I want you to do that is because I want to invite you to pray, to pray over these next few weeks whether God is calling you to be a Stephen minister. This is going to be an exciting, life-changing thing, not only for you, but for this church. So will you, will you do just that? Will you take this card and remind yourself to actively pray, God, where, how are you leading me in this way? God will never fail to reveal those things to us. The question is, will we listen? And then will we respond? We need to care for, for people. I, um, I, I, I mentioned in a video that I posted a few days ago, Philippians 2, it's my favorite passage in all of Scripture. Paul says to the church in Philippi, he says, if you have any encouragement, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, doing nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. And he qualifies that. He qualifies that not by having come up with a motto that everybody could hang on their wall, but he qualifies that by giving Jesus as the perfect example because he says your attitude should be that of Jesus Christ who humbled himself and became a servant and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place because of Jesus and his intentionality to live live a life of service and humbleness. Because of that, God exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's why it is never, ever, ever something to be ashamed about to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and the love that he calls us to. And I will always stand with integrity and boldness preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ because when, when it's all said and done, Every single one of us, our lives will end and we'll either be one place or the other. We'll either be spending an eternity in the presence of an almighty, beautiful God, free of any pain, free of any, of any discomfort, or we will be outside of his presence for all of eternity. That is our reality. The love of Jesus Christ the love that he has for us and the love that he calls us to give others is our responsibility. And I will continue to share that and point us in that way. Let's pray. Father, I'm thankful for who you are. And I don't have it all figured out. None of us do. Lord, we all are seeking to try to do life in a way that is helpful to us and to others. And if we're honest, I think that we get motivated and um, we are moved by a lot of other things and not you. Sometimes, Lord, we remember you. Sometimes 
we are motivated by you. But I, I think that often we don't take the moment, that necessary moment, to pause and to ask you, God, what do you want from me in this moment? God, how do you want me to respond? I pray, Father, that as we step forward into what is certainly unknown, it's certainly unforeseen, it is maybe even a little scary. I pray that we would step forward into that unknown with confidence. Confidence. Yes, that you will never leave us nor forsake us, but also confidence in what it is that we are called to do. What does Paul say after that passage in Philippians 2? He says that we are to hold on to the word of life as we shine like stars in the universe. May our lamp never run out of oil as we spread the light of Jesus Christ. We pray in your name. Amen.